For the past 50 years that I have been involved in ministry, I walked with and felt for the pain and the hurt that folks have experienced as they walk through divorce. So my desire is not to add to the pain. Do you understand that? That's not my desire. But as I mentioned in the last message, I long to help those who are married to know and learn how to proof, a fair proof their marriage. Those of you who are contemplating marriage, I want you to take notice. And I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us something very important here. But before I get to the text, I want to remind you of the circumstances of the time during which our Lord Jesus was ministering on earth. Because when you understand that, you put things in context, and you don't jump with the text. During that time, there was a raging debate among the scholars, among the Pharisees, among the teachers of the law about marriage and divorce. I mean, you think that we have debates? There was a raging debate. There were two major divisions among the Jewish teachers and theologians, two major divisions, two schools of thought. There were the conservatives, and there were the liberals. Nothing changes, right? (laughs) Nothing new under the sun. The fundamentalist camp was championed by a school called Shammai. They took the verse in Deuteronomy 24.1, where the Lord talks about marriage and divorce. They took that verse, and they said divorce can only take place for one cause and one cause only, and that's adultery. Now, the translation of the word adultery in Deuteronomy 24.1 is unchastity, sometimes translated indecency. One rabbi following Shammai said, let a wife be as mischievous as Jezebel. She cannot be divorced except for adultery. The second group of rabbis, they're the equivalent of those liberals of our day. They followed a liberal rabbi by the name of Hillel. Hillel defined the word unchastity or indecency in Deuteronomy 24.1 to mean anything you want it to mean. Anything you want to mean. From burning the dinner to putting too much salt in the food to disrespecting your husband in public. Let me give you a definition of a liberal. Here's what a liberal does. A liberal twists and turns and squeezes and pushes and shoves the Word of God until he makes it to mean what he wants it to mean. Now you got the definition, right? And they were doing the same back then as they're doing today. One of those ultra-liberals by the name of Akiba. Akiba said indecency or unchastity includes when the husband meets a woman more attractive than his wife. Go figure. Sounds familiar? Lots of Akibas in the church today. In my very early years in the ordained ministry, as an associate pastor, I was interviewing a couple of getting married. And so I sat with them, and I looked at the man, and I said to him, I said, "Uh, 
tell me why you want to marry, uh, well, Snookums. Yeah, they're just kind of a name I use in this lady he wants to marry. And tell me why. He said, oh, she sure can dance. And he must have looked at the incredulous face that I had. I looked at him and I said, what will happen if you find somebody who's a better dancer? He said, I don't know. I was 26 years old. So whatever I said back then, I know the Lord has forgiven me. (laughs) Beloved, I want to tell you, I am absolutely convinced of this. The way the definition of marriage is in this 21st century, I am absolutely certain in my heart, makes God sick. So let's look at those two verses. Turn with me to Matthew 5, 31 and 32, two verses. I'm going to read them for you. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, here's the equivalency between the father and the son. They are equal. You heard that? My father said, now I'm telling you. Anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. We saw in the last message how to affair-proof your marriage. This is a continuation from the last message where he talked about adultery. Namely, our Lord wants us to go back to the root cause that causes adultery, which causes divorce. He always led us to go to the root cause. Now, there are two things that I believe our Lord would be, want to tell us here. Two ingredients to a blessed marriage. Two ingredients. Listen carefully. Ironclad commitment to each other, caring communication with each other. Let me repeat these. Ironclad commitment to each other and caring communication with each other. Let me interrupt myself here and say something to those who are divorced or have been divorced. Please listen carefully. For whatever reason, whatever reason, that's not the issue. I know that this is the most painful emotional experience. And as I said early, it is the longing of my heart, the desire of my heart, not to add to that pain. But hopefully I can give you helpful lessons for the future. Because listen to me, there is life after divorce. There is hope after divorce. There is redemption after divorce, because I believe with all my heart there can be future joy if you're willing to find it. That is, if you do not spend the rest of your life beating yourself up, if you do not spend time wallowing in your guilt and regret, once you place it under the blood of Jesus and you are forgiven by God, you are under obligation to forgive yourself. If you are willing to accept God's forgiveness and redemption and resolution, there is a future joy. There is a future hope. That is what the gospel teaches from cover to cover. Can I get an amen? Amen. Let me get back to those two things. An ironclad commitment. I'm aware of the fact that this commitment of putting two people together, a man and a woman, 
binding themselves to each other for life is a tall order. (laughs) And that is why the old Anglican marriage ceremony says marriage is not to enter into inadvisedly or lightly. In Matthew 19, Jesus uses the words of the Scripture from Genesis. He said that a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and that works for the wife as well. Leaves her parents, cleaves her husband. The word cleave actually means glued, (laughs) glued together, (laughs) absolutely glued. That's what it means. That glue becomes the most important bonding. That glue means that their life revolve around each other just as the earth revolves around the sun, and they both revolve around the Lord Jesus. The reason the Bible sees marriage between man and a woman as a picture of the relationship between the Lord Jesus Christ and the believers, whom we call the church, the bride of Christ, is because Jesus does not love you, redeem you, adopt you, then the moment you mess up, He dumps you. Did you get that? It's not Christianity. That is not the Christian faith. When He writes your name in the book of life, He writes it permanently. He does not dump you the moment you mess up. He wants you to come back and repent and turn to Him. And he doesn't say to you, this is the 1,275,000 times you came to me. He doesn't count. He doesn't count the times we come to him for forgiveness and for repentance. And that is why the Bible says that marriage ought to work the same way. The covenant of marriage ought not to be dependent on the whims and the feelings of one party or the other. The covenant does not become obsolete when one or two does not feel like keeping it. The covenant of marriage between believing man and a believing woman is for life. Now, I have to confess to you, sometimes when I listen to the superficialities of arguments, and I know now that I lived long enough, look back, I said, we argued about these stupid things, (laughs) but you're going to have to live long enough to realize that. And sometimes when I think of the superficiality and the silly things we argue about in marriage, and I think of that little five-year-old girl, her first day of school, first grader, she comes home and she announced to her mom, I am engaged to Danny who sits next to me in the class. Wonderful. Next day, she comes in and announced to her mommy, the marriage is off. And the mother says, why? She said, well, Danny is just not ready for marriage. <laughs> Whoever said girls mature much quicker than men, absolutely right. She said, besides, he scribbled in my coloring book. Now, beloved, listen to me. Marriage is a lot of scribbling in each other's books. Marriage has a lot of squabbling, a lot of disagreements. Marriage has a lot of give and take. Now, young husbands, let me give you an advice. I cannot give much of advice to young wives because I don't know. My wife can help you. But I can help 
young husbands or prospective husbands, there is a way by which you can have a blessed marriage. And let me share with you our experience. I'm not going to ask my wife to come up here because she'll contradict me. <laughs> but this is how it works when we have a… we actually call it vigorous discussion. It just sounds nice for a preacher's home. We don't call it arguments. We call it vigorous discussion. And so when we have one of those vigorous discussions, we sit together. She tells me what she wants. I tell her what I want. Then we compromise. We do it her way. <laughs> I promise you, you'll have a joyous marriage. Because in the end, all that stuff is really ludicrous that we argue over. Only persistent adultery, listen to me, only persistent adultery or death can break up a marriage. I believe with all my heart that God is pleased when forgiveness takes place between husband and wife. God is pleased when confession and repentance takes place between husband and wife. God is pleased when reconciliation takes place between husband and wife. But let me hasten to say that one indiscretion, listen carefully, because I know some people are going to write me letters, send me emails, one indiscretion is not an unpardonable sin. Continuous unfaithfulness, deliberate continuous unfaithfulness, is a marriage breaker. Now, I personally believe that this is the meaning of the text. In this sexually charged culture that we live in, learn to affair proof your marriage. You say, Michael, how can I do this? Well, first of all, get over your narcissism. Get over your narcissism. Why do I say this? Because the truth is, we're all narcissists to different degrees. We all are. You say, how do you know that? Well, if you want to overcome your narcissism, do the following. Make a study of discovering your spouse's real needs. You get that? Real needs. And seek by God's power, God's strength, God's mercy, and God's grace to meet that need. According to recent surveys, women's top five needs are as follows. Affection, communication, openness, and honesty, financial support, and family commitment. By the same token, the top five needs of men, listen carefully, are as follows. Sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, attractiveness of their wife, domestic support, and admiration. Men don't want much. They just want everything. <laughs> now, there are some people who know their spouse's need, and they endeavor by God's grace to provide this need or meet that need. Ah, but listen to me. They expect reciprocation. That's where the problem arises. And hurt arises when the reciprocation does not take place. Please, 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 don't focus on what you want and need, but on what he or she want and need. I believe when you do that, you will go a long way toward avoiding 
the roving eye. Let me repeat. Narcissism is a deadly poison. And when you subdue narcissism by God's power, you will have a joyful marriage. Now, you notice I didn't say perfect marriage. I didn't say perfect marriage. There's no such thing. By the way, young people, if you think, oh, there's a perfect marriage, it doesn't exist. You know, when people used to say to me in the past, they would say, oh, it's a match made in heaven. I said, yeah, so thunder and lightning. <laughs> there's no such a thing as perfect marriage. But there is such a thing as a joyful marriage. Someone may say, well, Michael, I just don't have the time or the effort or the energy to do what you're asking me to do. Well, just listen to me for a minute, okay? If you want to get physically in shape, what do you do? What do you do? You exercise and you work out, right? Or if you want to get ahead in your profession or your vocation, what do you do? You work at it and you work at it and daily improve, right? Am I right? Then why on heaven's name, when it comes to marriage, you don't want to make the investment? I'll let you answer that to yourself. So first of all, it's an ironclad commitment. Secondly, caring communication. I chose this word deliberately, caring communication. I'm going to explain to you why. But before I answer that, <laughs> you must know that the overwhelming evidence points to the fact that caring communication is the overwhelming need of most women. Most women. Let me tell you why. <laughs> Because men communicate facts. They're good at communicating facts. But women want you to communicate feelings. So what is the answer? Men need to learn to communicate feelings, and women need to learn communicating facts. Well, someone will still be asking, well, Michael, well, still, what do you mean by caring communication? Well, let me say at the outset, making an unreasonable demand or blackmailing your spouse, is an absolute no-no. Giving your husband or wife what you want <laughs> on their birthdays is a no-no. Constantly using your upbringing and your past as an excuse for whatever you're doing is a no-no. Listen, ironclad commitment and caring communications are two ingredients for a joyful marriage. And that, my beloved friends is how you affair-proof your marriage. Lift up one another. Encourage one another. Esteem one another. Honor one another. Let me tell you this as I conclude. Sir Winston Churchill of England, one of the great leaders of all times, was attending a formal banquet to which a lot of prominent people were there at the banquet, and after the dinner, they were all allowed to ask Sir Winston uh, Churchill any questions they want to ask. And one question was as follows. If you were not who you are and could be someone else, who would you like to be? I mean, you can imagine people sitting there waiting, knowing Churchill with his oratory and ability and all that. They were so curious to know, is he going to say Caesar or Bonaparte? <laughs> I mean, some of the great names. But instead, his wife sitting next to him, dear Clammy, and he held her hand and said, 
Let me rephrase this question. If I were not who I am, who would I would most like to be? And then he paused, and he paused, and he paused. He's still holding his dear Clammy, whom he loved so dearly. And finally he said, I would like to be Lady Churchill's second husband. Now, beloved, this commitment to building up your spouse must, can only be second most important thing you do. You say, what is that first and most important thing you do? In fact, the first thing you must do that's going to help you to accomplish the second thing is to lift up the name of Jesus. Lift up the name of Jesus. That will empower you to lift your spouse up. Let me ask you this. Is narcissism destroying your marriage? Is being wrapped up in yourself strangling the most important thing in your life after salvation? Is being in love with yourself making you wealth? Today you can open up your heart to the Holy Spirit of God. Father God, in the name of Jesus, this flawed vessel, and only conscious of my own weaknesses, Lord, can only magnify your Word. But only you can do the work. Only you can change hearts. Only you can transform lives. Only you, Lord. So I pray for everyone that this will be a day of decision, a day of commitment, a day of trusting that God will do what He said He will do, that when we ask, He will answer. It is in His name that I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.